for the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon. This is Progressive Spirit, progressivespirit.net. I'm John Shuck. Does a preacher father lose his son when his son loses his faith? And I think that that's a question that a lot of families ask is, do we lose each other when we, um, when we, when we no longer believe the same things? And hopefully, they, you know, are literally full of hope, um, we sort of posit the, the answer, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be that way. Tony Campolo has been a fixture in the evangelical Christian scene for decades. For the past 30 years, his son Bart has followed in his footsteps. Just over two years ago, Bart decided to tell his parents that he no longer could believe in God. Out of this is their story, Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity between an evangelical father and his humanist son. Bart's with me via Skype from Los Angeles to talk about coming out as a non-believer to a Christian family. Welcome, Bart, to Progressive Spirit. Oh, thank you for having me. On Thanksgiving Day, 2014, you, you told your parents you, you didn't believe in God. What, what was going through your mind when you sat down for Thanksgiving dinner? Well, actually, I mean, I, I sat them down after Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, okay. Thanksgiving is a, is a high ritual in our family. I wasn't going to mess it up with theology. All right. Sounds good. Uh, but later that night, yeah, I pulled my parents in. And, and the thing, the reason I, I felt like it was important to talk to them was because we've always had a really close and open relationship. And I know for a lot of people, when they go through a kind of a religious transition, Sometimes I think, well, you know, I better not tell my parents it'll upset them. Um, but my, my certainty was that if I didn't tell my parents, our relationship would move from being authentic to being inauthentic. And that was just a price I wasn't willing to pay. Were you at all concerned about hurting their feelings? Well, hurting their feelings, like, would, would, would my change would, would would my sort of deconversion if you will would that cause them pain i knew it would cause them pain i mean i spent 30 years as an evangelical christian myself and i know how much pain it would have caused me um you know that's a tribe that's a lifestyle like you're in there and so even if it even if my parents you know my parents aren't the kind of christians who believe that god condemns people to everlasting damnation for not having the right theology before they die like, I don't think I, I even as I told my parents, I wasn't worried that they thought I was going to burn in hell. Um, but e even if they're not worried, and, and I know a lot of people whose parents, that would be the primary concern. But I, even, even if that's off the table, it, it's still a matter of like, hey, this is this thing we've always done together. This is this is our tribe. This is a, a kind of the language that we speak. And so when you step out of faith. In a sense, you, you, you kind of step out of the tribe. And I knew that that would be – I knew that would be painful for my parents. And that's before you get to the fact that my dad is like a famous evangelical um, and that I was a fairly well-known evangelical. So when I step out like that, it's going to be embarrassing to him, like publicly embarrassing where people are going to say, wow, you're leading hundreds of people to Christ and 
your own kids left. You know, what does that mean? And what does that say? I knew it would be hard for them. Yeah, that was a bit of what was at stake uh, for your dad. Uh, by the way, uh, your father, um, I've always admired what he has done. Um, he, I love his type of evangelical Christianity in that it's definitely social justice oriented. And he's such an open spirit. I know he and your mom, I think, had public debates or something, public conversations about uh, homosexuality a few years ago. Yeah, they did. No, my, my parents and they are my favorite kinds of Christians. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's funny because people sometimes now they say to me, oh, Christians, this. And I'm like, which Christians are you talking about? Because, you know, it's just like with Muslims, like there are as many different kinds of Muslims as there are Muslims. And, and you know, if, if you've ever been around the Christian community, you know that like Jerry Falwell Jr., that brand of Christianity and my father and, you know, Shane Claiborne over here, like those are two very – Brian McLaren, my goodness, those are such different kinds of Christianity. And my dad and those guys, they're, they're like my favorite kinds of Christians, the ones that are really committed to the idea that, you know, following Jesus means loving other people and fighting for social justice. You know, there's a line in your book – I'm speaking with Bart Campolo. He and his father, Tony Campolo, have written a book together called Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. And it's several chapters long. They each take turn uh, commenting on, on either's views. It's a, it's a powerful book. And there's one line in your book, uh, chapters, that I want to remember. It goes like this. It says, the supernatural aspects of Christianity were the price of admission, not the attraction. Uh, and, and as far as evangelicals go, as, as I said, I've always liked your dad uh, because of the social justice emphasis. But for you, the theological beliefs, you know, were just in the way. I, I find that a great deal, too. When I talk to people, they say, well, how much stuff do I really have to believe before I get in the club? Um, so you never, in many ways, ways I got from your book that you never really believed in, in God and Jesus like your father does. Did you? No, no, I did. No, I did. I mean, okay. I, it, it was hard for me. But like, you know, you, you do what you have to do. I mean, when I, I, I became a Christian, I was in high school. Kid on my soccer team brought me along to a big youth group. And, you know, 300 kids in a rock and roll band. And these were the nicest people I had ever encountered. You know, I'm, I'm, you're a high school kid. You're used to seeing people kind of jockeying for position. And here were all these people loving each other and going on missions trips to help poor people and singing songs about being a good person. And, you know, I was a nice kid. And this seemed like a club for nice kids. And I wanted to join. And it quickly dawned on me that these guys were all hyper evangelical Christians doing Bible studies and quiet times and and all that stuff. And I started kind of going through the motions of that stuff, even though I didn't really believe in God. But you see, at some point, you're on a retreat with 300 people, and it's late at night, and you're, the candles are lit, and you're singing, our God is an awesome God, and 300 people are swaying, and you feel something. You know, I guess a sociologist would call it collective effervescence or, uh, you know, but you, but you have this kind of sense that you're part of something bigger than yourself. It's kind of a transcendent moment. And, you know, if you're in a Christian context, when that happens, you go, that's God. I mean, I, I think if I'd have been on that same retreat in Afghanistan, I'd have said, like, that's Allah. You know, if I'd have been in India, it would have been something else. But, you know, I was in the context of evangelical Christianity and that transcendent moment confirmed that God was real to me. 
And so I bought in. And so, yeah, when I bought in, I bought in hook, line, and sinker. And I became kind of that ultra evangelical kid who's carrying his Bible around at school and wants to tell you about Jesus. Um, I, was, I was excited about my faith. And, 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 and throughout my time as a Christian, I would have these moments or these experiences that would confirm to me that, so, that there was something real. People now sometimes say to me, you know, well, now that you're a secularist, you must be embarrassed about, you know, pretending that you heard the voice of God or pretending that you felt the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that was real. I, I heard something. I felt something. And they say, well, but you don't believe in a supernatural God. And I say, no, I don't. But I believe in that experience. Like I would interpret it very differently. I would say that, well, it was happening in my brain and, 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 and you know, but if you don't believe in transcendent experiences, you know, you haven't gone to the right concerts. You know, you haven't. <laughs> You, ha- you haven't had sex with the right partner. You haven't used the right drugs because transcendent experiences can be induced. They, can, they, they happen. The question is, you know, what's happening when they happen? And for me, they confirmed Christianity and, and that really, you know, they really drove me to continue to want to serve and continue to want to kind of spread the good news that this stuff was real, you know, and now, and so you say, well, well, what about now? And I say, well, yeah, I don't believe that stuff was God, but boy, I still believe in community. I still believe in people that gather together and create an atmosphere in which they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And, and that inspires them to want to be their best selves and to want to make things better for their children and for the future. Like, you know, I'm a humanist now. I'm not, I'm not some angry atheist who thinks all that stuff is a waste of time. I'm just trying to build community around a narrative that actually is supported by the facts because the other narrative ultimately fell apart for me. Ultimately, you know, the, the, the too many things happened that made me question it too I, I read too many inconsistencies in the scripture itself. I had too many unanswered prayers that a good and loving God really should have answered. Um, and so for me, the narrative fell apart. But boy, the stuff around it, the community and the sense of purpose and the commitment to goodness, those things, those things were powerful then and they're powerful now. So that narrative that fell apart, that took some time, though, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did because – I forget. I think it was Upton Sinclair who once wrote, uh, it's very difficult to convince a man to change his mind about something when his salary depends upon him not changing it. Yeah. And, you know, I, it wasn't just my salary that depended on me staying a Christian. It was my identity. Sure. It was my family. It was everything in my life. And so, you know, every time I would run into some kind of problem, I would come up, come up with a workaround or I would come up with some, you know, I mean, I remember when I was in college and I first had gay friends and, you know, it took me years, but I worked, I worked together like, oh, wait, actually, if you interpret the Bible differently, it turns out God's okay with gay marriage. And, you know, then I had friends who, who were non-Christians and, and they died and I was worried they were going to burn in hell. But then like I found some other verses and I, you know, I, I underlined them and I ignored these other verses and then like I worked around, I worked around that too. And so, you know, by the time I got to the end of my Christian journey, you know, I had, I had the God I believed in was perfect. I mean, he was wonderful and everything worked great. You know, like the only problem of course was, is that, you know, it sort of slowly dawns on you that if the God you believe in agrees with everything you think, um, 
maybe you invented him. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned in the book, I thought was a wonderful way to put it. You says it's so much easier being an evangelist uh, without Christianity <laughs> for humanism. Um, oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, like I'm on a col- I work at I'm the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, which means like I, I organize young people in a community there to pursue goodness in a secular way. And yeah, I I have this wonderful group of kids and we get together and eat together and sing together and do social justice together. And I'll meet somebody on the campus and and, and they'll say, well, what does that mean? Secular humanism? What, 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 tell me about your group. And I'll tell them about what we're into. And they say, that sounds great. I want, I, I'm a good person. I want to pursue goodness. I don't believe in God. What do I have to believe to get in your group? Mm -hmm. Like what's the catch? And, and it's so, like in the old days, somebody would fall in love with my, my group and, and, and they would see what wonderful people we had and what good stuff we're doing. They'd say, what do I have to believe to get in? And I would go like, ah, uh, actually, you have to believe a lot of really unbelievable stuff um, to get into our group. But, but as a secular humanist, you know, basically I say like, look, it, you don't have to believe anything that the evidence doesn't support. Membership in our group is all about what you value what you care about. And I, I want another one to quote you again. Uh, you wrote, I don't oh, want quote to. Me. I, I love it. <laughs> it by the way, feel so good. Well, yeah. Mark Campolo uh, is my guest. Uh, why I left, why I stayed a book uh, that he wrote to uh, co-wrote with his father, Tony Campolo. And OK, so you are the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. The first one, I think it's cool. You're successful at it. You bring people in um, and, and you uh, don't care if people necessarily have supernatural beliefs. In fact, you're quite gracious about that. If folks have them uh, and that helps, that's great. And you say, I don't want to trash the church. I want to learn from it. I don't want to eliminate organized religion. I want to help develop a new and improved version of it without the supernatural narrative for people who genuinely want to be good without God. So that's, that's your quote. Now, if your dad were here, I'd ask him, isn't this a good thing? And what would he say? I think he would say, yeah, it's a good thing. And he would say it with a catch in his voice because what he would say is, of course, it's a good thing. My dad used to teach at the University of Pennsylvania, and he's often said to me, man, I wish there was a chaplain like you on the campus then because there were all these kids that were never going to believe in God. And there was nobody organizing them and nobody nurturing them and nobody sort of sitting when their mother got cancer. There was nobody there was no pastor for them to go to. And he said, I just think it's beautiful what you do with those kids. But in the same breath, he would say, but man, I kind of wish you were doing it for Jesus. I wish you were in my tribe. Like it's a it's a neat thing that you're building that tribe. It's a neat thing that you're nurturing those students in that way. But, you know, my dad. You know, he's 80-something years old, and when he was a younger guy, it really looked like evangelical Christianity might be the triumphant movement that was, you know, it was on the rise, and it felt like it was inevitable, and it felt like this country was going in that direction. I mean, I think that my dad and his contemporaries really thought they were part of a movement that would ultimately, you know, kind of conquer the world and establish the kingdom of God, and Jesus would come back. And I think that right now he looks and he says, gee— the evangelical movement is shrinking and it, it's not looking so good. And, 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 and more and more young people don't believe in God. And so on some level, I think he's really disappointed and sort of is like, wow, I wish, I wish we had Bart working for us. And then on the other hand, I think he sort of sees what's happening. He says, gee, if the world's going to be secular, 
it's kind of cool that there are people there saying, then let's make it, let's make it secular good. Let's make it humanistic. Let's make it, let's make it something that works for people. And that, that promulgates the same values that Jesus, you know, that, that, that my dad's version of Jesus pushes. I'm speaking with Bart Campolo. He is the chaplain, the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California. And he just finished a book uh, with his father, Tony Campolo, called Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. Uh, you And your father will also be in a movie that's coming up. So tell me about this idea of going kind of public with your private conversations. What, 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 what does that feel like? Well, you know, I, I mean, my dad and I are both, we've been public people a long time. But the reason we went public with this very private conversation, I mean, what happened? I mean, the, the, the backstory here is, so I sit down at Thanksgiving and I tell my, my, my wife, my wife and I, because my wife sort of has made this journey with me much. She's not a public person. She wouldn't, she, she would prefer to, that we didn't write books and make movies about family life, uh-huh. but, but, um, but she's cool with it. Um, but my wife and I sat my parents down and said, look, we're not liberal Christians. We're not red letter Christians. We're, we're post Christians. We're done. And it was devastating to my, my parents, you know, like that was just so hard for them. And they handled it really well in that moment. And we kept talking, you know, in the, over the weeks to come. But eventually my dad reached out to me and he said, Bart, I, I need to understand this. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand what this means and why it happened. And he said, I'm going on a trip. I got to go. I got to go on a speaking trip to England for about 10 days. Would you come with me? Would you, would you come with me? He said, because I'll speak at night, but all during the day, we can just walk around and talk. And I just need to ask you a bunch of questions. And so we did, we went on this trip and, and, you know, every day we would walk and we'd sit in cafes and we would talk and he would say, but what about this? And why do you think that? And I would go back and say, but like, you have the same problem. How do you, how do you reconcile this? And about halfway through the trip, he looked at me and said, these conversations are really hard for me, but I feel like I'm really getting to, I'm, I'm starting to understand and I realized that what he was after was he wasn't going to try to debate me or convince me to go back. He knew, like after 30 years of Christianity, I knew all the arguments. I mean, he wasn't going to talk me back into Christianity. But he wanted to understand, like, what does this mean? And what happened? And especially, like, what do you think of me? Do you think I'm stupid now? Hmm. Like, do you think I'm ridiculous? And so as we're talking, he says, this is really helping. I feel like we're understanding each other. I feel like I'm getting – I know who you are again. And, and like – and so at that point, he said, you know, this would make a great book. He said, because I know a lot of families that go through these transitions and they stop talking about anything that really matters. It becomes like almost a, a, an off limit subject and it's just a, a source of pain. And he said, because they don't know how to ask the right questions and they don't, they don't, there's this thing. He said, I think we should show people this conversation and, and in a sense, try to model for them how a Christian and a non-Christian can can be friends and can be open and can talk about the things that matter most in a respectful and loving way. And that, I mean, if, if there, you read the book, I mean, like, you're, like, and I'm, I'm excited because I haven't talked to many people who have read the book yet because it's just coming out. And so, you know, I, I hope that you pick, like, I, I mean, you tell me, like, did it seem like a respectful conversation between people who 
who truly disagree. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it had so many wonderful elements in that, especially the whole father, son, the family, the, you know, the going of the different directions, the the son who doesn't, who follows the path in a sense and goes a different place and there's disappointment, but there's also uh, obviously very proud. Uh, there's sadness. It's all there. I mean, it's like uh, going through anything. It's like coming out uh, in a sense, uh, not the same thing, but close, uh, similar dynamics oh, no, to really coming close. out, really coming out queer. Yeah. When, when I came out as a secularist, you know, people say, well, how many of your friends left you? Yeah. And I said, well, well none. I mean, because by the time I did it, <laughs> like I had moved so slowly in that direction that when I finally said, to, hey, everybody, I don't believe in God. All my friends were like, yeah, we knew that. We wondered when you'd figure it out. Um, you know, it's like a gay person who comes out and his friends say, yeah, we, we, we knew. We wondered when you'd figure it out. And so um, – so, so I think that it is a lot like coming out, and I think that parents really have to make that quest. They have to ask that question, and that is, do I want to have a real relationship with the person that exists, or do I want them to pretend to be somebody else so that I don't have to uh, make any adjustments? And you know, my what my dad and I are, are sort of trying to communicate in this book is, is that there's a lot of life and a lot of encouragement. Uh, along the path of, of authenticity. And the truth is, you know, my, if you ask my dad right now and said, who do you think is the, one of the, who are your biggest supporters of your Christian ministry? Like who gives you the best advice? Who, who, when you've come up with a sermon and, and you run it by him says, well, you know, but if you move that story to the beginning, and if you, if you quote this verse, who, who really wants you to succeed as a Christian? He would say, oh, my son, Bart. Yeah. And I do. Because, like, honestly, because my dad's out there taking people who believe in God in a really good direction, and I'd way rather they listen to him than some of these nonsense people, Paula White and crazy prosperity people and health and wealth people and and angry and anti-gay people. Like, listen, I want to support my dad in his Christian ministry because he makes people more loving and more kind and, and more committed to good things. And as a secular person, as a secular humanist, like that's the kind of Christian I want working in the world. I just have a couple of minutes left. Mark Campolo, my guest, uh, talking about the book and the movie uh, that he's put together with his father. Uh, the book is called Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. What's the movie called? I think the movie's called Far From the Tree. And, and, and um, uh, is that similar to the book? And when's it coming out? It's funny. It is. It's not. It's. It's a little bit. It's different, but similar. Like they. They complement each other really nicely. The movie comes out, I think, at the end of the month, like at the right at the beginning of March, and I think you can find out about it at. Well, I mean, you can find out about all this stuff if you go to like my website, bartcampola.org, or my dad's website. Um, but, but the movie was interesting. When Dad and I were writing this book, we had had this great conversation. But then when I sat down to try to write stuff. And he was writing stuff. We were struggling. And so somebody said, well, why don't you just get back together and talk and have somebody videotape you? And um, so we did that. I had a filmmaker friend come out and he videotaped us talking so that we could then transcribe that into the book. It turned out that the filmmaker guy said, listen, I could make a movie out of this. Like I could I like this is the beginnings of a great story. And so he took about 13 hours of conversation and boiled it down. And then and then edited in stuff of my dad's past and my past and other interviews and other and like all of a sudden it became a story of 
a son leaving the faith. And the real question I think the movie asks is, does a preacher father lose his son when his son loses his faith? And I think that that's a question that a lot of families ask is, do we lose each other when we, um, when we, when we no longer believe the same things? And hopefully, they, you know, are, are literally full of hope, um, we sort of posit the, the answer. Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be that way. If there's one thing your dad still might not get about you, what is it you'd like him to understand and accept? And, and what do you think he wants from you? I mean, I think that my dad, I, th- I think that one of the places is, is that I, gosh, it's, it's, it's hard to articulate it, 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 and which is sad if you're on the radio uh, or, or on a podcast. <laughs> but um, what I would say is, is that deep down, I worry about people, like I worry about my dad because he's coming to the end of his life. And I wonder if in the, in the heat of the moment, like in, in, in this moment, if sometimes he wonders, is it really all true? And I wish that he – sometimes I wi- sometimes I think that maybe he suspects that he's back the wrong horse. And I wish he could say that to me. But I think that – I don't think he could even say that to himself. I think he's, I think he's, he's invested so much in Christianity that even if, even if he didn't think it was true anymore – he, he just he, he literally couldn't articulate that thought at this point. And so sometimes I wish he would just say, Bart, t- tell me, like, tell me how you make sense of death now. Like, help me out. Like, g- you know, give me a perspective. Um, I, you know, so I, I guess deep down the, and you say, well, why do you want him like deep down? Why would you wish he would come over to your side? And the answer is for the same reason that I think deep down he wishes I would recommit to faith or I, or I could believe again. And it's not because he's worried about my destiny or I'm worried about his. He's lived a good life. He's had a great life. I'm not worried that he, he missed out on anything. It's just because I love him and I'd like him to be on the same team with me for a few more minutes. And I think he would just like me to be on the same team with him just because it would be fun the same way that when you're watching the Super Bowl, it's fun when the people at your party are all rooting for the same team. Father and Son, a powerful story, Tony Campolo and Bart Campolo. The book and movie, the book is Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. Uh, thank you for, uh, for your honesty and for this work and for being with me today, Bart. Ah, uh, John, thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. You can find links to Bart and Tony's websites at progressivespirit.net. You'll also find links to podcasts of this show and all the shows over the past five years. Progressive Spirit is a weekly half-hour show that's heard on several radio stations and is distributed through the Pacifica Radio Network. It's available for free through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. From KBOO in Portland, I'm John Shuck. Be welcome.